I love Instagram, and I really enjoy networking and meeting new people. For me, Instagram has become an amazing space to follow stories and journeys of people from around the world and network for the podcast, which is exactly how I met Jess. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. For anyone familiar with Instagram, you're aware that many accounts participate in giveaways and work together with other accounts to promote their pages and their products. I saw a cute post a few weeks ago with alpacas on it, and that led me into an account of a company called Poco Loco. Knowing a bit of Spanish, I knew that Poco Loco sounded a lot like a little bit crazy, and I was into it. I checked out their website and their products and really fell into their vibe. I reached out to the owners and I caught Jess one day in April for a chat about entrepreneurship, business, travel, and the balancing scale of being in a relationship with your business partner. So, what is Poco Loco? Poco Loco is a home and lifestyle brand. It is predominantly active in the B2B sales category. So we're predominantly a wholesale company. However, we have begun the shift to being a front-facing brand, a B2C e-commerce shop. And we also have a showroom shop in Hull, Quebec. Uh, We've started those sales channels as well. But generally... What the business is, is a selling platform uh, for international artisans who wouldn't have access to international markets. Mm-hmm. Usually they're at disadvantages. They don't speak English. They don't have internet. They don't have computers. Um, we find them. We collaborate with them to develop lines. And then we bring them to the North American market through our wholesale channel, our retail channel, and our online conference. Mm-hmm. And your business is dealing with seven different languages, of which you know three. So what languages are we thinking here with, with seven of them? So. I know Spanish, English, French. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we also work with uh, Aboriginal artisans who speak Quechua in um, Ecuador. Mm-hmm. There's Turkish, mm-hmm. the Turks in Turkey. There's uh, Bahasa Indonesia, so uh, the those artisans from Bali. Mm-hmm. And then there's, in Morocco, there's uh, Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all sorts of different dialects of that. Wow. And I think that's it. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of Google Translate work. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> but Case and I have tried to learn all these languages. You know, we learn, we know, you know, 50 words in every language you don't really know. So we can do the basics and we know what, you know, hand towel means in Turkish. But we, yeah, we, we definitely are only trilingual. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And with your, with your products that you have available, you're still wholesaling as well. Do you get to go and actually touch the fabrics of the things that you are going to be selling or is it a lot of trust, I guess, in that case? Well, there's definitely a big trust factor. It's also our designing process has really changed over time. When we first started four or five years ago, we were traveling directly to the place, you know, spending sometimes months with the artisans, sometimes in their own home, eating with them, working with them. And when the company wasn't as, as developed, it was easy to sort of take that extra couple weeks on the beach Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, go surfing and claim that you're working. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) And then as the company began to grow and became more, there was more demand for new products. It really has changed. I mean, we, we still travel to all the countries. We know everyone personally. We try to visit each country once every year. Uh, That doesn't always happen depending on the year, but definitely in an 18 month period, we'll be everywhere. 
And if we're not touching the fabric in person, then we're getting samples sent to us. Uh, we definitely are very careful when mm-hmm. we're curating and designing because especially as a wholesaler, you're investing a lot yeah. into that piece. So you definitely want to see it and sign off on the final prototype before you're investing. So we're, we're definitely very hands-on with that for sure. And how big is your team in North America? Well, pre-COVID, um, we were a team of eight uh, with a selection of full-timers. So um, we, we've had our team, almost all of them have been with us since the, the very early years. And then we, had, we, we were mobilizing to increase our fulfillment team in order to meet demand. Mm-hmm. So we were training three or four part-time people who were absolutely lovely to fill orders and help us warehouse. Mm-hmm. So Post-COVID, it quickly shrunk from a team of 10 to now a team of four. Mm -hmm. So we now have one person filling orders uh, and we have another person uh, helping us with various aspects of the business from website to social to, uh, you know, to to logistics. Mm -hmm. And then there's Case and myself. So we are preparing to hire another person back. Obviously, the wage subsidies have been a huge, huge benefit in that case. Mm -hmm. So we're going to hire one person back this week and hopefully hire another person back next week to start rebuilding the business. Mm -hmm. With all of the changes that are going on with COVID, you know, pre, post COVID at this point, have you had to shift how you are selling? Have, has that led to a different kind of platform to sell and distribute? Yeah, COVID has completely changed our business mm-hmm. um, and it has completely changed the way we think about our business and business generally. Yeah. And I think COVID is, I mean, no one knows what's going to happen, but I think it's going to introduce a lot of shifting mentalities mm-hmm. like that on a lot of different mm-hmm. levels in a lot of different industries. Um, but for us personally, we have now almost completely shifted our focus to our online shop mm-hmm. because that is a, a fully operational, you know, anyone can buy online, you know, the couriers are working still, um, at least right now. And um, so that has really shifted. So before, you know, we're working seven days a week, just trying to keep up with the wholesale. And now that all stores in North America have been forced to shut their doors for obviously very good reasons, all of our brick and mortar spaces are now closed. I mean, they're, they're now no longer for the foreseeable future. So we've shifted from being a wholesale company to being primarily a retail company mm-hmm. and everything that entails. So, so we've shifted to um, improving our website, reconnecting with our community on social media, um, creating content, uh, Really, what's been really interesting for me is when you become more B2C focused, you really look yourself in the face because you really have to figure out who you are, what what your message is, what your values are, what what are you putting into the world? Whereas when you're on a supplier side, you're working with trade, you're working with other businesses and they're the ones selling it to the end customer. So it just... the while you still have to have your morals and you know your your mission statement and all that kind of stuff it really feels really different than if you're dealing with the end customer so it's been a really fun exercise for me personally and then also for me as sort of the the person that's managing most of our branding to decide okay what is our purpose here? How can we contribute? What are we giving back? And what is our why? And and how can we live that more fully? I love that um, you just said, what is your why? Because that was kind of my next question. I'm trying to segue this mm-hmm. next one into what is your why? And how do you check back in with it? How do you check or how often do you check back in with your why? Well, I mean, 
on a personal level and then, and on a professional level, I think we are doing that Mm -hmm. every day. Uh, it's, it's something, especially recently, anytime that we put a a post out or anytime that we're upgrading a product on the website and making sure the description's accurate and beautiful, we're asking ourselves, why is this product on the website and how is it contributing to our greater purpose? So yeah, so I'm asking myself that every day and I'm really trying to be very, very true to it. And I think in terms of what is our why, I think the thing that's most important and authentic to us is that we are connecting small businesses around the world. So our artisans are small businesses. They're often young couples, our own age, you know, early thirties that have their own small little operations. A lot of them are backyard workshops with one or two machines, many of which are refurbished from the 1970s and are some of in Morocco, some of them are pedal powered. So they're not even using electricity to make that their goods. That is so cool. Yeah, it's really cool to see. And and especially the products coming out of Morocco are so mm. beautiful. Like the weight of the fabric is really nice. And you can just tell when you're feeling it, it's an authentic, yeah. you know, sort of his- historical piece. So, so yeah, so our why is connecting these lives and this work and this art with the lives and work of art of our North American network and linking those entrepreneurs together and telling those artisanal stories, you know, what what it means to be Hector in Ecuador, who's 33 years old and has grown his business from one machine in the back of his grandfather's house to having his own property and now has three machines, which Mm -hmm. is a huge, a huge growth for him. And, and telling that story and bringing his products to North America and connecting them to Emma of Picket Fence in Pembroke, who uh, has been our customer since our beginning and who we've seen build her own business from the ground up to taking over her own, buying the business in the Pembroke Mall to moving it onto the Pembroke Main Street and, and, and developing the beauty and artisanship behind her brand. Um, so we love to be that connecting platform between artisans and sellers and artists and people who appreciate art, people who are producing like beautiful, authentic pieces to people who want to buy and furnish their home and their space with things that have a story, things that have a lot of meaning. I think that's our why. (laughs) We're still working on it. (laughs) It's gorgeous. That in itself, like you can tell that you just spoke directly from your heart space with that. Nice, nice. So you are in a relationship, a romantic relationship with your business partner as well. And I wanted to ask on an entrepreneurial side of that, how do you maintain balance between an intimate relationship and a work relationship when you guys are basically together 24-7? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not easy. Um, And it's definitely something we're always Mm -hmm. working on. We're definitely getting better at it. It's been a learning experience and I think there are good, better days and worse days. I remember when we first started and, uh, you know, a year or two into it, and then we both started taking it on as our full-time work and me looking to Case, who's my business partner, and saying, you know, I'm a little scared because you're you're my boyfriend and we're sort of putting so much at risk and, you know, are we just going to fight all the time and what's going to happen? And, and his response was, just most companies are family based. Most companies are into consideration. All the small businesses all around the world, most of them start with, you know, a love story mm-hmm. or a, a friendship or, you know, a, a couple and, and their kids. Um, and, and he, you know, he's like, it's nothing to be afraid of. And I, I honestly couldn't think of anyone 
that I trust more with my my projects than him. He's so smart. He has a really good instinct. Um, he he is uh, calm in the storm. He doesn't get mm-hmm. emotional. Um, so so he he's a perfect partner for me. So I think that's made it a lot easier knowing that and fully trusting mm-hmm. that. But in terms of actual techniques we use mm-hmm. to make it through, I think learning to listen and not learning to speak all the time is something we're both working on. And I know that I'm sure everyone in any kind of couple, any kind of relationship needs to work on. And anyone, even if you're not in a couple, if you have a friendship, like a friendship with a a girlfriend for many years, you've probably encountered difficulties with them where you had to learn to Mm -hmm. listen to. But I think learning to listen and not speaking is something that has helped Mm -hmm. a lot. And also repeating back what they're saying to ensure that you understand exactly that it's it's listening (laughs) to understand not listening to respond exactly exactly I think that's exactly the way to put it which you'd think that you're doing that naturally but if you really take a minute to reflect on how Mm -hmm. you're behaving you know you so often don't do that um we sort of figured that out a year ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh and that's been really helpful Another thing that we do is really try to honor that work-life balance Mm -hmm. piece, even though if you ask any of our friends, they'll tell you that we're terrible at that. But um, that's something, just last Christmas, we really came to a point where we realized that we had a work-life balance issue. Uh, We were working, we were trying to launch a new collection and we had a deadline of January 1st. So we were just working and working and working all throughout Christmas. So we'd go to a Christmas party until two in the morning, come back, finish the work for that day and then have five hours sleep and get up and keep doing it. So it was just way too much. And we really felt our personal connection suffering. So after the holidays, we really made a promise to each other. Okay. We're going to see our friends. We're going to have dinner parties once or twice a week. We're going to, on Sunday, we're going to take it off. We're going to go on a bike ride. We're going to really respect that personal time. And my friend Ariane always told me that it's bad for business when your business is endangering your life. So you're going to be a stronger business person. You're going to have a stronger business if you have a strong personal life and you have you know, your interests protected, your mental health protected, you're going to be better at your Mm -hmm. job and you're going to have better Mm -hmm. results. Um, so, so I think that learning that the hard way has really shown us, okay, wait, we have to take care of each other first and give ourselves that personal space to, to be ourselves and explore personally. Um, and then that'll make us stronger business people for each other. So, so that's been something we've worked on, definitely not perfect on yet. For me personally, I think uh, uh, just exercise and movement, being really aware of the the mental health basics, like eating vegetables and and cooking your meal, not eating mm-hmm. out all the time, and uh, practicing yoga and, and meditating, and making sure that you're moving for you know thirty minutes to an hour every day with music you love or with an instructor that you love. That's been a huge lifesaver for me, and I really feel like if you forget that, you really see, at least for myself, you see your mental health mm-hmm. suffering. So as, as long as you take that daily dose of sort of mental health basics, I think you can go for a long time and be, be pretty mm-hmm. good. When you just, you just mentioned um, um, bike ride, yoga, meditation, that kind of thing. Do you have both shared mm-hmm. and individual hobbies? Yeah, we, we're both musicians. Case is a guitarist and vocalist and played in his own band for many, many years. And I'm a violinist. I, I also sing sort of backup. And I played with 
uh, I, I do still play with two really close friends of mine in, in sort of a folk trio band called the Artichoke cool. Hearts. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we play together. We've sort of been on and off in the last year or so just life gets mm-hmm. in the way, but, um, so that's a shared interest. We do do it separately, but we now, especially with COVID and being quarantined, we've been working up a bunch of songs together. And, uh, so, so that's sort of combined and shared, um, Case has taken up archery, question mark. Um, so he, he bought a bow and arrow, um, and now shoots arrows uh-huh. in the backyard. And I don't know where that's going to go, but it sounds yeah. dangerous. Um, so, so he's doing that and I'm definitely w- would never be a part mm-hmm. of something like that. So yeah, so we definitely have separate interests, which is really nice. I spend a lot of time with my girlfriends who are a really important mm-hmm. part of my life. And he has his own crews um, uh, of, of guy friends and, and girlfriends um, all over. So, so we have our, definitely have our separate lives that are, are meshed in a lot of ways, but that are definitely our own. I love what you were saying about how your girlfriends are such a part of your life, how you mm-hmm. had both acknowledged, you and Case had both said that, you know, we need to make visiting our friends or socializing and being with other people more of a priority. I bet that that sits so much more in your heart right now when you physically can't do that than Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. beforehand, you know, and now it's, you kind of have the time to do so, but you physically can't do it. So I wonder how that's going to propel into life as it transitions into whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it is such a strange Mm -hmm. world now and uh, Zoom is, you know, your outlet. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's strangely enough, I'm seeing and talking to more of my friends than I was before because now we're like, okay, next call is next week and we sort of schedule mm-hmm. it in. Whereas if we weren't all so isolated and quarantined, we wouldn't really think to do that because we wouldn't, we'd have so many other social outlets. So in some ways, I'm actually spending more time with people uh, that, that don't live in my immediate city. But yeah, it, it, uh, it it's going to be uh, strange to see how the COVID restrictions release and then what's going to be allowed and what's not going to be allowed. Uh, a, a couple of my girlfriends want to come and visit us. We, we live in the country in sort of a little house in, in the woods. So they're, you know, always game to come visit. But, you know, we don't know when that's going to be uh, available and allowed mm. safe. So, so yeah, it's going to be quite the, um, the transition for sure. It'll be interesting to see it all go down. I was just wondering about a retreat. I mean it as if you needed to just sink inward and turn introspective and really deep dive. If things were out of balance for you, how do you reset? How do I reset? Um, for me, I think in a lot of ways I'm very extroverted, but I, I'm definitely half yeah. introvert. A resetting really uh, means for me being alone or just being with Case or being with just a small group where I can have a lot of sort of alone, quiet time. I like to take all of my notes and all of the ideas that are swimming in my mind and just write them down in a list and just organize everything and make a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely yoga and meditation is a huge part of that for me and eating well and just having no other appointments, no other calls booked, nothing, just, you know, a stretch of time. 
time yawning in front of me. That's Mm -hmm. all my own. So that's, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with a lot of other people, but that's really, that's my reset. I think when I'm with others, I love people and I love community and being around others. Um, but I definitely lose energy when I'm around others. So in order to gain back energy, I need to be sort of by myself and sort of focus and have the time to read that chapter of the book I've been meaning to or take, take that webinar. Yeah. Yeah. When do you feel you're most inspired? Um, there's so many different sources of inspiration throughout someone's career and throughout someone's life. And it's always sort of changing in where you least expect it. I think I'm most inspired by our internal full-time Canadian team. It's been so fun to kind of grow up with them in a way in the last Mm -hmm. four or five years. Like uh, Sean Tanzi is someone that's been with us since the very beginning. And, you know, we've seen him really change over the years and he's seen us really change. So it's been really fun to kind of grow up together Mm -hmm. in that way. You know, Mark, Devin, these are all people that have been there in the grittiest of times where we're, you know, dealing with a flood scare in the warehouse. So we all need to immediately move all of the product of a 5,000 square foot warehouse up five feet. (laughs) And so we have eight hours before the flood water could come. And, you know, like being on those days when like nothing's moving forward and everything's moving backwards. What inspires me is that team atmosphere and being there for each other through thick and thin and, and seeing them personally develop. And then seeing the business be in a position where they can uh, raise their salaries and provide them a, more opportunities. They can uh, send them on a trip mm. or, um, you know, teach, teach them mm-hmm. new skills or, you know, they can connect with international artisans and, you know, work with them. So, so that's the thing that inspires me the most, I think. A- another piece of inspiration is seeing how the businesses of our artisan suppliers grow with our mm-hmm. own business. So for example, Hector and Estella in, in Northern rural Ecuador, who were our original artisan partners, we've seen their business completely grow as ours has. It's been super interesting to watch. They've, you know, managed to buy their own property, their own car. Um, you know, they have their, their team of all their cousins mm-hmm. working for them. You know, they can afford to put their kids in school. Estella doesn't have to work at the market, you know, 13 hours a day anymore. Now she's, you know, the, the homemaker, she makes meals for everybody. So it's been really interesting to, to go back there year after year and see their progress too. It's, it really shows you, okay, so this is why mm-hmm. I'm doing this to lift everybody yeah, up. Wow. What kind of lessons have you learned personally or as a business owner from leading a team? Oh man, there's still so much to learn. I just feel like I'm such a rookie mm-hmm. in so many ways. But I think, I think one of the main things that I try to do is lead by lifting up as opposed to, you know, follow me I where I'm that. going. Yeah. So I, I really try to empower everyone in their own worlds and give them their own thing that they're responsible for, that they're reporting to me on. But really it's their own world that they have complete ownership over. And then I really see our company as made up of all these little pods of everyone's little worlds and then me just connecting them all together, which, you know, sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I mean, some people really thrive off a lot of instruction and a lot of structure. And when you give them too much autonomy, they they don't really know what to do with it and they don't really mm-hmm. love it. So another thing that I'm constantly reminded of is trial and error. You always have to be trying things and, and listening and learning as you go along and, and adapting to what isn't, is not working. 
you know, so sometimes you'll think, okay, this person's great with people. So let's put them in a sales role and they'll call these people, but then you'll realize that they're not good with spreadsheets. So you know, have to adapt their role to do something mm-hmm. different. So it's really, I think, uh, a- another thing that I think is so important about being a leader is just staying positive and sticking with the vision and keeping people feeling really good about what they've done. You know, as soon as you get negative or frustrated, they really, the, the response there is, is really, uh, you can really right. see it, it affects them just like a baby That's or right. something when a, when a mom's upset. Yeah. They're looking for you for the direction. Yes. Is, are things going well? Yeah, yeah absolutely. What's one area that you think you could do even better? Um, I think I definitely need to learn how to let go a little more. It's funny. Like, I feel like I can really do that well now, but then I always get into a situation where it, it's very obvious mm. that I'm not there yet. It's, it's tricky because you know exactly how it should be done. You know exactly what's going to work the best and you've done it a million times yourself with great success. And then you introduce someone else because you no longer have the time to do it. And then you have to watch them make their own mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is so hard as a small business owner because you're like, no, I've made those mistakes. We can do it. But what I've really learned about training people is that no matter how much you verbally explain, the most effective way to teach them is to have them mm-hmm. just do it and make those mistakes. If they make the mistake and then they see that they've made the mistake, they're never going to make it again. But if you tell them not to make the mistake, they're probably just going to make it and forget that you said mm-hmm. that because it's just that that's how human brains mm-hmm. work. So that's something that I can do a bit better, I think, is is learning how to mobilize a team around you to be most efficient mm-hmm. for scale. Uh, we're definitely getting way better at that as we go. And uh, we were really hitting a stride there before mm-hmm. COVID. Um, but yeah, but, th- but that's something I've, I'm always trying mm-hmm. to work on you know, how to motivate someone else to do something, uh, you know, just as good as you. I heard in a business podcast once, uh, if you can hire someone that will do it 70% as good as you are, uh, then that's a hundred percent success. So that's what I've always tried to remember is like, okay, maybe they're not doing it perfectly in your eyes, but they're, if they're doing it 70% in your eyes, then that's Mm -hmm. perfect. And the interesting thing is, Often you might see them making all these mistakes, but then they're doing all sorts of other things better than you would do them. So it actually... They're bringing value to the team for sure. Totally. Totally. Yeah. What would you say your biggest challenge is as a female business owner? I know that you have a co-partnership in this, but what would you say that you have Mm -hmm. faced as a female entrepreneur that might be considered challenging? Um... I mean, there's a lot of different context because we're working internationally. There's a lot of different contexts that we face. It's interesting. My mom is private practice lawyer, employment lawyer. So she, and she's almost 70. So she went through that movement of women. It was the first generation of women who had actual choice in their mm-hmm. career. You know, it wasn't just nurse or teacher or, you know, stay at home mom, which are all very noble professions and super interesting ways to go. But now that there's, now there's more choice. You can be a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever. So she was the first generation to have that choice. And I think she went through crazy barriers. She tells me stories that I've never, you know, I couldn't even believe if they would were to happen to me today, it would just be so, so inappropriate. So I think I'm very lucky to be a female business owner in mm-hmm. 2020, because I think that the women's movement has made a lot of strides. Mm-hmm. I think I'm lucky to be, have been raised by two people that believe in equality, that demonstrate equality in their relationship, mm-hmm. that have, you know, intrinsically taught me how to be, uh, you know, strong in my skin. And so, so I'm lucky in that way. Um, so I don't, all to say is I don't really 
feel like they're, as a female business owner, that inequality is an issue. One thing I have noticed is female business owners tend to undervalue themselves mm-hmm. versus how a male mm-hmm. business owner would value themselves. And that's definitely been an issue. How to break up the ownership, how to divvy our roles. Cases strengths are finance, uh, strategy, uh, sort of long-term vision, next steps. My strengths are uh, management, uh, details, team building, relationship building. So it's been, it has been a bit of a, a struggle for us to divvy our roles equally such that we are taking on an equal amount of work. Um, and that's not uh, due to case shirking responsibility by any means, but I think women will take on a lot more voluntarily and do a lot more. I mean, I don't want to be too generalistic mm-hmm. here, um, but I think at least for me, I'll, I'll be far more likely to take something on and make sure it I gets totally done. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there, there's just little thing, like little gender differences uh, or like identified gender differences uh, to look out for there. But overall, it's been actually pretty good. I mean, on the Canadian and American end, uh, we work with a lot of female owned businesses. I mean, most of the most of our retail partners are independent selected boutiques run by women who love art, who love design, who love home decor. Most of them are women. We work with very few men, actually. However, on the international side, it's mostly male-led. Uh, so most of the artisanal suppliers we're working with are families and the leader is the husband or the man. And that's been interesting, especially in countries like Turkey, like Morocco, not that there's a a lot of like beautifully progressive things happening in those Mm -hmm. countries, but when you get to countries that don't often see a female in a lead Mm -hmm. role uh, or who see a couple together and automatically assume that the man Mm -hmm. is the lead, it's interesting the, the, how the conversations go, how the negotiations go, what they talk to me about and what they talk to him about, who they make eye contact with. It's very common for them to give Case's wife a gift while they, you know, talk to Case about the actual deal that's being made and don't even make eye contact with Mm -hmm. me the whole time. Whereas if they actually knew who was managing the sales of their product in North America, they'd be looking Mm -hmm. at me. That's been interesting. But, you know, overall, I think people really follow your lead. And if you're strong in your skin and you know what you deserve and you know what what a quality should look like and you give it and you you tend to get Mm -hmm. that back. I feel like I've been pretty lucky in that I haven't actually being a female and being a business owner has actually been more, way more of an asset to my company and to me than it has been any kind of experience of inhibition or any kind of like negative experience. So I love everything you just said there right towards the end, just about how I feel like if you're standing in your own skin and you are treating others with what you expect or how you expect to be treated, that that's going to help propel your business. That is so powerful. It's important to remember that, you know, I'm, you know, a white female from Canada, from uh, like a good family that is stable. I mean, I can't speak to, I mean, there's so many different kinds of female experiences and I would be, you know, I'd be wrong to speak mm-hmm, on behalf of sure. all women in business. I think there's tons of, of female entrepreneurs that face tons of mm-hmm. uh, barriers and difficulties that yeah. I can't even imagine. So, I mean, I don't, definitely don't want to presume to say that it's easy. In my experience, I feel like it hasn't been an inhibitor. Yeah, I really, it really, really appreciate and respect you acknowledging your privilege. Absolutely. Absolutely. So important. I have a couple questions here for you that are kind of more safe haven style, kind of a little deep dive into your soul here. Sure. <laughs> what are you most proud of? 
Um, I am most proud of my uh, relationships. I think my relationships with my girlfriends, some of some of which have dated back to when I was born, are such an important part of my soul. Mm-hmm and will be with me forever. And I think that they really inspire me and um, have taught me so much and have formed, have helped me form who I am and my identity. Um, So that is something that I'm really proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, My relationship with um, my partner, Case, that's something definitely we're proud of because it's been quite the labor of love. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm proud of my relationship with my family. Um, you know, families aren't always like the easiest things to navigate. And I think that we've done a really good job over the years of sticking together and being respectful and sort of figuring each other out and navigating our differences. Mm-hmm. I also think, I guess most obviously my business is, um, is something that I'm very proud of. I've worked very hard at it. And I think that um, it's come really far in a short amount of time, which makes me feel energized by, you know, the everyday sort of going at it again and again, every day feeling sort of like you're getting nowhere, but then taking a step back and really seeing uh, the progress that we have been able to make is definitely a point of pride. Mm -hmm. And then I guess finally, just I'm proud of my personal and my, my professional commitment to giving back to philanthropy, to putting human and environmental systems first. And, um, anything that we do, thinking of those as high priorities. And I'm, I'm proud to say that that's a part of what I do. It's definitely not always easy and mm-hmm. it definitely puts us at a big disadvantage in business. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think it, I'm proud that we're able to still stand on our mm-hmm. feet and make profit and employ people as well as stay true to our ethics. So that's something I think I'm also proud of. Yeah, you should be. I'm sitting over here smiling as I'm listening to you like, yep, you, you should be very <laughs> proud of all of these things. <laughs> Oh, thank you so yeah, much. and congrats on all of your success. It's incredible. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. What would you like to be known for? This is a good question. These are good mm-hmm. questions. These are good things to ask yourself, you know, every mm-hmm. week, you know, to just yeah. check in because they're always changing and they're always such a dynamic. Topic. It's true. It totally depends on your mood, what's going on in the world around you, how you're feeling, the time of day, all the things. <sighs> yeah, yeah, totally. And it's so easy to stray from them mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, go through your day and then be like, oh, no, wait, I resolved to not do this and be Mm -hmm. different. Uh, Okay. I would like to be known for community building, uh, someone who contributes to the greater good, meaning, you know, someone who supported sustainability in business, someone who supported others in their own personal lives, someone who gave other people a platform to personally develop, someone who gave back, I think is is what I would hope to be known for. Mm-hmm. I think generally just a good vibe. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to be known as a good vibe. Yeah. Um, you know, just a source of positivity and not I think a source of a place of non judgment, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, highly relevant to the Safe Haven podcast and what you're building yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that I really appreciate when I think about others and their accomplishments. I always sort of look for, okay, so how did they give back to the community around them and the environment around them? And then what, what vibe and, uh, you know, message are they implanting in someone's mind? Uh, whether it's like a friendship relationship or they're, um, you know, they have their own personal brand or something like that. So I think 
being a force of good and making people feel good, mm-hmm. I think is, is something that I'm always striving to do with my friends, with my colleagues, with my company. Mm-hmm. The people that feel like sunshine. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah, totally. I love that so yeah, much. Yeah, easy. Yeah. If you had a message for all of the listeners and could take it anywhere, what would it be? <sighs> oh, this is tricky. I guess along the theme of sort of the dark and light of people's lives, which is sort of how I understand the safe haven to be Mm -hmm. sort of centered around. I I had an interesting conversation yesterday with my friend Rob from the Danish jewelry brand Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. He he distributes them and he's based in Montreal. Um, And he was uh, giving us business advice because we're going through, you know, obviously a ton of changes right now. He, he's so smart and so, so interesting. And um, at the end of the conversation, I asked him, you know, how can we repay you? And he said, all you have to do for me is to pay it forward. You know, people helped me along my journey and, uh, you know, I'm helping people and will always do that. So all I ask for you to do is to turn around and pass it forward. So, I mean, I guess if I had a message for your listenership, I guess that would be it just to keep paying it forward. Mm -hmm. And, and also to know that I'm here and I am available and open and we are always ready to collaborate, always ready to listen. Mm -hmm. So if anyone feels like we could help them in any way, they should definitely not hesitate to reach out. And um, we consider ourselves part of, and I consider myself part of a local and global community. So, um, you know, we're always open to that as well. Mm -hmm. And thank you for that. That's incredible. I just have kind of a question that because I was all over your website the other day, and I've done my research on Turkish towels. Okay, (laughs) but for real, do people actually use them as towels? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So, so Turkish towels are actually the original towel. So it's a, it's a flat weave Mm -hmm. and it existed far before any other kind of towel. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was created initially for ancient Turkish baths for all the, you know, ancient Turkish political men in the Turkish baths together, discussing politics and all sorts of things. And then in the 17th century, uh, the loop technique was invented. So that's the so that led to the terry towel, which everyone has now in their bathrooms, those, mm-hmm. those plush towels. Mm-hmm. And so once the loop technique was invented, uh, towels sort of branched out to all different kinds. But the Turkish towel really is the one of the original forms of towels. And it's highly absorbent, uh, quick dry. It's compact. It folds right up in your suitcase. It can double as a scarf, as a throw, as like a lumbar support roll. Mm-hmm. It can be a tapestry, a tablecloth. It can be so many different things. I absolutely love mine. They do take some getting used to. I find that people who've only used plush towels and never traveled to Turkey or have never used a flat towel before, it definitely behaves differently. Mm-hmm. I find you have to use it and wash it to soften it up and increase its absorbency. Mm-hmm. So at first, people might be kind of skeptical of them. But mm-hmm. you know, right now in my bathroom, I only have Turkish towels, obviously, because I have a lot of... Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're amazing. I, I would say it's one of my favorite things that we sell. And it's it's such a fun product because they differ so much in quality and make and weave and color. You know, d- different areas of Turkey make different types. 
So they have such a cool artisanal history to it. Mm-hmm. You know, as a traveler and adventurer, which I know you are too, and probably so many of your listeners are as well, mm-hmm. it's the perfect travel companion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a fun thing to have on the plane. It's the perfect blanket. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I would highly recommend them, but they're really fun. I currently have some on one of the tabs in my computer right now. And I've been looking at the ones because you had a whole bunch of them on sale. I was like, mm, these look really nice with the bathroom that we are doing in BC. So, and they look mm. so pretty. Yeah, they're super, super pretty. Yeah. And they, they make really nice scarves too. So if you're traveling or you're on the mm. road and you can wear it as a scarf, but then also use it. They're great for yoga studios. And Oh gosh, um, all the things. They do all the things. All the things. I appreciate you and your time so much. I would love for people to know where to find you on social media and how they can reach out. Yeah, for sure. So pocoloco.com is our website. Everything is there, our store, our story, uh, artisan stories, our blog, everything. But you can also find us on Instagram at pocolocolimited, P-O-K-O-L-O-K-O-L-T-D. And then on the same handle, we're on Facebook as well. Amazing. And I will have all of those linked in the podcast notes as well for our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Jess, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experiences and insights to life as an entrepreneur. You've got so much momentum and you definitely have so much to be proud of with Poco Loco. To my listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Safe Haven. It means more than I can articulate as this podcast grows. If this podcast resonated with you in any way, I encourage you to reach out to Jess and the Poco Loco crew and follow their journey. A simple way that you can help this podcast grow is to screenshot your podcast screen while you're listening to this podcast and then share it with your friends via social media. Be sure to tag us so that we can thank you personally for it. You can find The Safe Haven on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week.